From The Conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where we hear from politicians and experts on the issues of the day. The campaign for the referendum for a voice to parliament is moving into its next and formal stage. The yes and no sides will be accelerating into top gear, fighting for the support of those whose votes remain up for grabs. Millions of voters who have not even been paying much attention to the issue will begin to tune in to the debate. Meanwhile, campaign organisers will be watching carefully to see whether the notable decline in support for the yes side will be arrested after the firing of the starting gun. The yes side goes into the formal campaign as the underdog in terms of the polling results. But the outcome remains open, depending on how the next few weeks pan out. Today, we bring you interviews with Dean Parkin, who's campaign director for Yes23, and John Anderson, former deputy prime minister, who's on the advisory board for the No campaign. We begin with Dean Parkin. Dean Parkin, now the campaign is off and running, how optimistic are you? The yes is behind in the polls. Will the campaign be able to turn that around, do you think? Well, we've not been focused on the published polls and uh, while the Prime Minister's announcement does mark a significant milestone in the campaign, we've been actively campaigning out in communities across the country for months and we are hugely encouraged by what we're seeing. Uh, We've got 28,000 active volunteers in the field as we speak. We've door-knocked more than 50,000 households in the last few weeks alone. We're out there having conversations with Australians across communities in every corner of our fantastic country. And what we're seeing is a great deal of openness and generosity from Australians. It's a very different conversation to that which is happening out of the kind of media and political cycles out of Canberra. It It is a very generous and open conversation and um, and it matches our research that suggests forty uh, percent of the Australian population haven't made their mind up. So there is a substantial referendum-winning proportion of the community out there that are still to be convinced, and we absolutely believe that they are persuadable to vote yes when the referendum is held later on this year. Can you tell us a bit more about that forty percent? Are these people who haven't tuned in, or are they soft voters? Are there voters with questions? What's the nature of that block of vote? Yeah, it's a combination of some people are still unaware that there is to be a referendum on in in this country this year. There is a combination of people might be aware of the referendum but aren't aware of the specific provision and the question. So they're they you know they fall into that unaware bucket as well. There are people who are unsure of where their vote's going, and it also includes people who have indicated that they may be leaning towards yes or they may be leaning towards no, um, but are absolutely persuadable of either strengthening that maybe into a strong yes um, and are persuadable of shifting that maybe no over to a, a very strong yes as well. So um, it's a bit of a mix. Um, you know, we understand that there are a lot of issues facing Australians right now, um, important issues in their in their lives, but this announcement will sharpen that focus. And as we move closer to the vote, we believe that that generosity and goodwill that we are absolutely seeing on the ground will translate into greater support for the yes vote um, over the next few weeks. You spoke about your volunteer army. How much training are those people getting and how confident are you they can handle difficult questions about detail? 
if they try to fob people off, won't that backfire in some cases? Well, I attended a training session last night here in Perth, uh, training people who are, are conducting uh, telephone conversations uh, with Australians as we speak. It's a very comprehensive training uh, program delivered by people who know um, how to have open and generous and respectful conversations. And I think it's also important to understand that um, there's there's a different kind of detail that Australians are seeking in these conversations in community. While the political class is very interested in the minutiae of, of, of drafting and so forth, the, the overwhelming experience from the conversations that we're having are much more basic about well, what do we mean by recognition and what do we mean by a voice. Um, and once you actually have that conversation with people and you talk about the simplicity of what's being proposed, you talk about recognising Indigenous peoples as the first peoples of our country, that that's something we should do in 2023 in a modern Australia, a lot of people go, of course we should. And when you talk about the concept of um, listening to Indigenous peoples means we get better results in the ground, we get practical change, we get some real progress on closing the gap, and that that is how the voice will help that, then that again is something that people get. So um, they are well-equipped, our volunteers are well-equipped to conduct informative, honest and respectful conversations. We, we couldn't be prouder of our volunteer network. And these are people, the vast majority of which aren't political operatives. They're not members of a party or any other campaigning organisation. This is their first campaign. It may well be their last campaign. They just want to be involved. They want to get out there and help us achieve a yes vote. And um, it's a it's a it's a tremendous community of support that we've built uh, and continue to build through this campaign. Now, you've been in the West this week. What's the situation in particular states, do you think? You need four of these states to uh, win this vote as well as an overall majority. How do states differ at the moment? Oh, look, the, the, it's a consistent um, consistent measures in terms of the levels of, uh, of awareness about the referendum and uh, consistent with respect to those that are undecided and, uh, and as I say, are persuadable. Yes, I'm in the West um, today, um, heading heading back to the East Coast later on today. I've been in Sydney, I've been in Southeast Queensland, I've been in Tasmania, I was in Melbourne before I headed here, have been all through Northern Australia um, in recent weeks. So the conversation absolutely is across the board. Um, we're leaving no stone unturned. Um, we're not uh, taking any state for granted and we're not uh, ruling any state in or out. We are absolutely motivated to make sure that we're getting out there and uh, and having those conversations across the board. And, and again, the feedback from what I heard from talking to the volunteers and talking to the organisers here in Western Australia is, is similar to what we're hearing across the country. Generosity, goodwill and openness to vote yes. And that's what we're absolutely focused on. So against that background, though, what aspects of the campaign are the most difficult for the yes case, do you think, in the coming weeks? Well, we've all, uh, winning a referendum is in, in in its entirety is very difficult, and we've known that uh, we've known that from the very beginning. Um, look, we're not seeing it in terms of difficulty; we're seeing it in terms of opportunity. And our task, as much as possible, is to increase the scale um, so that we can have as many conversations as we as we can. We'll also be seeing at some stage in this campaign. You know, there'll be also further advertising. You'll see messages being distributed so that more and more people can have access to the information so that they can make a really strong and a really positive decision in support of the yes vote. Um, so that will be part of the equation as well. 
Um, but we've been very clear. We've been very upfront all the way along. Um, I've been very consistent in saying it is all about taking the conversations of the people of Australia. It's a big country. There's a lot on people's minds at the moment. We know that cost of living is a really important issue. We have a lot of empathy for Australians. Every one of us, even those of us in the campaign, are aware of the issues. It, it affects all of us. So we're aware of it. But we also believe that Australians, when it comes down to it, are able to are able to deal with those issues and also be generous in their support and and I think smart in their support for something that signals real change for Indigenous peoples. Um, the one thing that we all agree on, and 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 we are at one with the no camp on this, they agree with us that the current situation, that the status quo for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples is simply not good enough. Four out of the 19 closing the gap targets are on track to be met. That means 15 of those targets are not on track and four of them are actually going backwards. Everybody agrees that we cannot continue to do the same thing and expect a different result. The difference where we differ from the no camp is they have no solutions, no solutions to those challenges, um, just more of the same. The Yes campaign has a solution. It has an average on Torres Strait Islander people have a solution. It is through a voice. It is through that listening so that we get better outcomes. Just finally, how much campaigning will the Prime Minister do and how vital is his role? I think that's a question for the Prime Minister um, as to how much uh, how much campaigning he will do. He's obviously um, played an important role in in setting the setting the direction and and ensuring that um, we've got to this place on the cusp of a historic referendum on this issue. We welcome everybody into this conversation. We welcome the Prime Minister, the government, the opposition. We have strong support from the likes of Julian Lisa and Bridget Archer. I went with a walk with uh, the current Foreign Minister, Penny Wong, and the former Foreign Minister, Julie Bishop, yesterday through the streets of Perth. You see Liberals for Yes coming out in very strong support across the board. And you just see Australians from all walks of life, from all persuasions, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether um, during elections we wear a red shirt or a green shirt or a blue shirt or a teal shirt or any other colour shirt. The shirts that people are starting to wear now are the Yes shirt. We're getting behind the Yes campaign and making sure that oh, all those other things that we might consider differences are put aside because this is about making sure that we achieve something special this year, recognising Indigenous peoples and doing so through a practical means, through a voice that's what we're excited about. And as I say, we will leave no stone unturned between now and the referendum. We know that if uh, every one of our supporters has a conversation with two undecided people in their family, in their community, and they bring them across to yes, we will win this referendum. And that is what we are utterly focused on between now and the vote. Dean Parkin, thanks very much for talking with us. John Anderson, so as the country moves into the formal campaign, how confident are you that the no case will prevail? Oh, look, I wouldn't take that for granted for a moment, frankly. I think it'll be very tight uh, and unfortunately will reflect the deeply divisive nature this, that this, in the name of reconciliation, is actually visiting upon us. Nevertheless, the polls have been moving in your direction. Why do you think uh, it's going to tighten up? Well, I think there are still many people who have not really turned their minds to it. And we know that there is the mother of all campaigns in terms of a vast amount of money coming from the corporate sector 
uh, and others, an, an absolute avalanche of money. And there's no publicly funded uh, yes and no case in the way that there normally is. I don't know what influence that campaign money will have. Uh, if it's a bad campaign, if it reinforces all of the elitism that we've seen at the moment, with all the usual suspects telling ordinary people in the street how they should think and how behave, it, it may very well backfire monstrously. We've seen the no campaign say, we don't want the appearance that it's elites driving this, but of course it is. All the money is coming from the big end of town. Uh, I don't know how that'll play out. What's your feeling about the proportion of voters who can be swayed, who either don't have an opinion or are soft voters at the moment? Uh, look, I would assume it's enough to swing it either way, uh, quite substantially still at this stage. Probably not so much in Queensland and in Western Australia, but certainly in South Australia and Tasmania. At the moment, the polling suggests that New South Wales will vote no and Victoria is line ball. Uh, but it's very hard to know because I'm surprised anecdotally, I know that's only anecdotally, but I am surprised at how many people say they haven't really focused on it yet. The other thing they say, which goes to the heart of my deep concerns about this, is they're still saying, we don't know what the voice is. What are the details? Will that go in the favour of the no case? Well, people generally are wary about voting for something that they don't understand. On the other hand, uh, I think the worst reason for voting for this is the line I hear quite often. We've tried everything else. Yes, we haven't put it in the Constitution. You know, we've tried six or seven voices, all of which have either failed or ended up in disgrace, and they've been easily wound up. Uh, this one's different. Uh, you know, we've tried everything else, so let's try this one. Well, this one, if it's a disaster, you can't get rid of it. And, you know, we've got to be really honest about this. There's a very high chance it'll just be another ATSIC. I'm sorry, but I had a long time in public life and I've had a deep involvement uh, as a member for a lot of Indigenous communities in Indigenous politics. As Marsha Langton herself says, Aboriginal politics is vicious. I'm sorry, but there's no other way of putting it. And if this goes wrong and we've embedded it in the Constitution, it will backfire on decent, everyday Indigenous people everywhere as the rest of the community says, hang on, this whole thing's costing us a fortune. It's gumming up works. It's an activist playground. Uh, you wanted to close the gap. The gap's not being closed. I can see a distinct possibility of all of that unfolding and indecent Indigenous people in need of a helping hand and Indigenous people who have joined the mainstream, and I meet a lot of them, will say all this is doing is creating division and ill will. Remember the old saying, that which you focus on, you end up with more of. And this endless focus on the things that divide us is doing just that. We're ending up, I think, with more division. Just taking up your point about ATSIC, uh, some people will say that in retrospect, the problems of ATSIC were exaggerated. What do you feel about ATSIC in retrospect? Uh, well, that's not the view of the Indigenous people who used to come and see me in my electorate at the time, and I'm not aware they've changed their minds. And it was certainly not the view of either side of the parliament at the time that it was wound up. And you know, I think there are significant outstanding issues, even to this day, that remain unresolved from the way in which, shall we say, the objectives of ATSIC were hijacked for personal leverage. 
you've put a number of arguments against the voice. What do you think will be the most potent argument to sway the undecided voters? What do you find is resonating most from your point of view? Uh, well, the polling suggests that it's the idea that it won't work. We can't see. There's no detail. How is this voice going to work? Uh, you know, is it really going to address the on-ground issues? We know that's the well, until recently been the biggest concern that people in the street have. The second biggest, and I, but I have to say the one that concerns me most, is that you are investing in the constitution a group privilege. Only one group of Australians can access that capacity to be consulted on anything. And let's be honest about that. We know it can be anything. Uh, and even advocate for a yes vote, Greg Craven has pointed that out. He doesn't like us reminding him now, but he said it. You'll end up with an expectation of consultation on everything from submarines uh, to, um, uh, to uh, parking tickets. And, and that's part of the problem with this. Uh, but I personally think there's another reason a reason that I find really offensive. It's the anti-democratic nature of this uh, whole debate. Firstly, we're being told by elites, it's the vibe, you don't need the detail, just do it because everything else has failed. And the second part of that whole problem, uh, in my view, is that um, I really do think that you can in Australia say what you think. It's a free country, or it ought to be. And if the Prime Minister and others believe we ought to have a voice and we ought to have a treaty, we ought to have reparations, we should have truth-telling, that's fine. But don't obfuscate. Don't try and say, no, this is modest, when I, I think, you know, I, I, I just don't think that stacks up. We can all see it's not modest. It's the beginning of a much bigger process. We can see that. And that's legitimate. You can hold that view. But don't obfuscate. We're, trust has broken down on the Australian political system. So tell us the truth. If that's the objective, tell us. Now, you've spoken about the resources on the yes side. What sort of uh, resources do you have on the no side in money and feet on the ground? Uh, I don't know that I feel uh, completely comfortable. Uh, that's for others to disclose. And, and donations are coming in all the time, but we don't have you know, $5 million from the Paul Ramsey Foundation. We certainly don't have $2 million from this business and $2 million from that business and what have you. Uh, so our donors tend to be more mainstream people. And I'll make another observation. They come from the people uh, who feel a bit insulted by this line we're now picking up in the media that, oh, it's the intelligent, well-educated and highly paid people who are supporting this. It's the dumbos who don't. Actually, the division, I'd say, is that if you've got a high-quality degree and you're making a lot of money, you tend to be living in areas where you're not dealing on a practical basis with many of these issues and therefore lack what I would call a sort of pragmatic approach, which says this smacks too much of what we've seen in the past to believe that it's going to work. We need more convincing. Now, just finally, if the no side wins, what do you think will be the fallout for reconciliation? Could it end up being a, a Pyrrhic victory? Oh, um, no, because I, I personally genuinely believe that the long-term outcome of this division entrenched in the Constitution, as I said again a moment, I'll repeat what I said a moment ago, that which you focus on, you end up with more of. This is a focus on what divides us, not unites us. And the obfuscation of people saying this will pull us together, well, you know, the early evidence has done precisely the opposite. And I think the other thing I'd say is, yeah, I mean, I, well, I would say it is an appalling thing if 
some of the usual suspects jump up and down and say, oh, this just proves we're a racist nation. No, the early polling, when people thought this was a modest request before they got into realising that the detail's not there and it doesn't look like a modest request, and if it's a modest request, how come it's going to turn everything around and fix up every problem anyway? Uh, they will say, well, we looked at it, we were prepared to go with it, the polling showed that, but when we saw the details, we decided it wouldn't work and the democratic thing to do was to say no. John Anderson, thank you very much for talking with us today. That's all for this podcast from The Conversation. We'll be back with other interviews during the campaign. Thank you to my producer, Mikey Burnett. Goodbye for now. Our theme music is by Lee Rosevere. You can find more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com.